But today I thought we'd talk a little bit about why is it so difficult to pray? To whom do we pray? Because the, the who shapes the why, uh, and then why we pray. So kind of like to consider those three things together, and I'm hoping it'll be a little bit more discussion-oriented uh, as well. But we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism that prayer is the chief part of our gratitude or thankfulness to the Lord. But I think if we're honest, most of us find it one of the hardest things to do. It's one of the most neglected things that we do. It's one of the most misunderstood things that we do. And it's one of the most seemingly pointless or frustrating things that we do. So I doubt I'm the only Christian who's ever had some of those experiences. So I thought it would be good to be able to talk about some of those But before we begin, I wanted to read a little bit longer quote. Dr. Dennis Johnson wrote a book, uh, a commentary on uh, the book of Acts. And throughout Acts, there are praying people. And Dr. Uh, Johnson writes this about prayer. And I'd like to read it at the beginning of the day today and at the end of the day, because I just think this is so well written. So this is what Dr. Johnson said. He said, how would a vivid consciousness of the presence of Jesus affect the prayer life of the church. Prayer is often portrayed as a Christian duty. It is often enjoined upon us in exhortations heavily laced with guilt inducers, like the holiday phone commercial that scolds wayward adults. Call your mother, right? The definition of prayer as a duty, though not wrong, often leaves the impression that we have an uncomfortable obligation to a distant loved one who is out of touch with our daily lives. At the opposite extreme are pastors and teachers who try to move us to pray by portraying Jesus as our buddy, our pal, eager to hear our monologues of self-pity and to come to our assistance. Here too, there is a grain of truth. Jesus is compassionate, and he does bring help to those who turn to him in faith. But the casual and self-centered embellishments added to that grain puts the truth out of focus. Acts shows us, and again, he's writing a commentary on the book of Acts. Acts shows us what uh, prayer is like when praying people recognize the presence of Jesus the Lord. It is joyful and confident, for the one who is Lord in Christ is among us to hear our needs. There is an all-filled fear when we recognize his terrifying holiness. There is a preoccupation not with ourselves, our ailments, our comforts, conveniences, or hurt feelings, but with the great cause of the King who walks in our midst." We ask to receive from his hand whatever will make us serviceable to him, useful for his saving purposes. And then his last line here. We pray not because we must, but because we may. Not out of lust for his gifts, but out of love for the giver. Not to bend his will to ours, but to bend our wills to his. That last line sums up what we want to talk about here. We pray not because we must, but because we may. Not out of lust for his gifts, but out of love for the giver. And not to bend his will to ours, but to bend our will to his. And so those are the things. uh, We'll we'll revisit that. But we recognize, and when answering the question, why is prayer so difficult, that our natural desire to pray comes from creation. Uh, We were born to be in communion with God. And the difficulties with prayer comes from the fall. The difficulties comes, comes from sin. We'll have no problem in glory and paying attention and being in communion and union with Christ. We wouldn't, Adam and Eve wouldn't have had they not sinned, and we won't when we are in our sinless state in glory. But part of the problem is that we're sinners, we've been sinned against, and we live in a sin-cursed world. So 
that's one of the reasons why it's difficult, is the reality of sin. Also, one of the reasons that I'm convinced, and I want to hear your reasons as well, is because we're not good at it. At least the way that we recognize things. So we often hear the prayers of other people and we think, gosh, I can't pray like that or I'm not that eloquent or I don't get it. And so we start to beat on ourselves for not being very good at it. Also, if you're anything like me, I often, this is, I often start praying and then 10 seconds later I'm distracted by something. Um, or in particular, there's a problem going on and I'm thinking about this conflict and I actually want to pray about the conflict. And so I start praying by the Lord and then 16 seconds in, I'm in a mock conversation with the other person, right? And I was like, what? I can't even pay attention for 15 seconds. What's wrong with me? You realize I'm, I'm not, one of, the, one of the difficulties, I think, is because we're just not good at it in terms of, of that. But we recognize that God is even sanctifying us and conforming us to be more like Christ uh, in our prayers uh, as, we, as, we, as we do that. And it's also a muscle that kind of needs to be practiced. To paraphrase Finding Nemo, Instead of just keep swimming, just keep praying, right? Just keep praying. It's something that we just need to do over and over and uh, exercise ourselves at that discipline, but we're not good at it. Does, that, does anybody else have any other like, ideas like how do you think you're not good at it? What else falls into that category? Yeah. Yeah, so that could fall under there as well. We don't exactly know what to pray for as we ought. So we're intimidated or shy or distracted or what have you. Another reason it's difficult to pray is because of we're disappointed. In the answer. I submit to you that God always answers our prayer. His prayer is, his answer is either yes, no, or the one that we all hate, wait. Not yet. But still an answer. It's not an answer we like, but we're disappointed. And so we're disappointed when he said no, when we were really praying and hoping and even believing for a yes, or when he said yes to something that we were really hoping he wouldn't have said no to. He would have shut the door on or slammed the door in one way or another. And then that wait. But the wait is often the situation in which we're most formed to be like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? When we pray for patience, God doesn't just sprinkle pixie dust on us and say, now you're patient. You're in a situation in which your patience is going to be tried, how can you possibly grow in being patient and long-suffering and forgiving and gentle if those things aren't being tried or tested in one way? You, they actually happen in the crucible of life. They happen in the crucible of the covenant context, as we heard this morning in, uh, in the sermon. Those things are worked out in relationship. God sanctifies us through our life. He sanctifies us through his word. He sanctifies us through his spirit. He sanctifies us through circumstances and difficult situations. So I submit to you that God is often answering that prayer, uh, but just not necessarily in the way that, that we would like. But it is difficult because it's disappointing. I think all of us could say that. You know, why, why bother? I'm sick of this or I'm not getting the answers I want. Also, sometimes because we feel silly. Silly. 
Prayer is unlike anything else we do in our life. There's an oddness to it, right? We don't see or hear directly or immediately from God as we do when we're sitting down with our friends over a cup of coffee or uh, at a dinner table or praying with one another. It seems like we're talking to ourselves. And we think only, only crazy people right, talk to themselves. And so there's a silliness or an oddness to it because it's so different from everything else that we do in our life. It's also difficult to pray sometimes because we don't think it matters. The question often gets asked, right? Why pray to a sovereign God? And I would ask you not to be more Calvinistic than Calvin. (laughs) We pray to a sovereign God in the confidence because he is sovereign, but most importantly because God uses our prayer. God's are the, our prayers are the very means that the sovereign God has ordained to bring about the purposes. We're participating in uh, the plan of God and in the sovereignty of God by doing that. God uses means. We'll unpack that a little bit more when we get over here, but God uses our means. There is no conflict between the sovereignty of God and our prayers. They're flowing the same direction. God uses our prayers It should strike us that Jesus prayed. Jesus is God. Jesus is the eternal son of God and that he prayed. In those moments when we find it difficult to pray, it's sometimes important just to think about or to reflect upon the fact that our Lord and Savior, Jesus, who is God, prayed. Is it important? Does it matter? You bet. When did Jesus pray? He prayed when he was in conflict. He prayed when he was in pain. He prayed when he was in need. He prayed in hope. He prayed in intercession. He prayed in praise. It should strike us that the second person of the Holy Trinity prayed and that we as those who are made in his image are made to be a praying people. And beloved, I guarantee you that every single one of you are the answer to somebody else's prayer. Mom, dad, Grandpa, grandma, brother, sister, somebody prayed that you would be, somebody prayed that you would come to know the Lord, your pastor, elders, grandma, grandpa, whoever it was, that you are the answer to somebody else's prayer. And I can guarantee you one other person prayed for you. Who's that? Yeah. You're the answer to Christ's prayer. In the garden, he prayed not only for those who are with me, but everyone who will believe through their word. That's you. The second person of the Holy Trinity prayed for you, and that prayer was answered. You've come. You've heard his voice. You've believed. You are his now and always. And so we want to say wholeheartedly, we recognize this, right? We can be real about all these things. We're not very good at it. We're often disappointed. We feel silly. We feel like it doesn't matter. Why pray to a sovereign God, right? This is a normal Christian experience, Well, I do four, so I don't know how three. Um, <laughs> I'd have to throttle back to do that. Um, no. I know, I have heard that. I, yeah, he had a phrase, some, this is a paraphrase, but something like, I have so much to do today that I must spend an extra hour of time in prayer. What a fantastic attitude. Not, not mine. Um, one that I need to have more and more. But yeah, no, that's, 
that's someone who's in the battle, right? That's not someone on the sideline. Someone who's in the battle recognizes, I need to be on my knees. <laughs> when we're on the sideline, think, eh, I don't really need that as much. But when you're in the battle, how many times in the difficulties, in the nose, is that when you actually go to the Father more, right? When everything's going great, there's a tendency to forget God. It's in those difficult times that we're, oh, yes. It says something that it's in those times that we go to him, but the Lord also does use those, doesn't he? Another reason why it's difficult is because we're busy, which gets to your point, right? Because we're so busy, do I, I just don't have time to do that. One theologian said that when we slow down to pray, we find it uncomfortable because we prize accomplishment and production. But prayer is nothing but talking to God. It feels useless as if we are wasting uh, time. Every bone in our body screams, get to work. So we feel like, well, there's so many other things I could do than pray. But it's interesting that Brother Martin said, because I have so much to do, I need to spend a little more time in prayer. Yeah. It's also difficult because we believe we can get or are doing okay without prayer. We have faith in progress. You know, one theologian said, money does whatever prayer does, but faster, so it would seem. But this is where we recognize that God uses means. Martin Luther said that God likes to hide behind masks. It's difficult to pray because God hides behind masks. He hides behind the milkman and the baker and the dairy farmer and the doctor and the teacher and the friend and the neighbor and the sun and the moon. The Lord is behind all of those things. And so last week, we prayed as a congregation um, for our daily bread. And I'm looking around, I'm thinking everybody ate this week, right? So, so the Lord answered that prayer. And I bet none of you prayed, and then all of a sudden from heaven came, you know, a plate of prepared food for you. You went to your pantry, you went to your refrigerator. Did the Lord provide for you? Yes. Did the Lord use Vaughn's or Trader Joe's or the dairy farmer or the milkman? Yes. You could say yes to both. When you're healed, can you say the doctor healed me or God healed me, right? It's a false dichotomy. God healed you through the doctor. God healed you through the medicine. God healed you through the, the means that he's even given our bodies to kind of heal themselves from different things. God fed you. God did this. And so sometimes it's difficult because there's so many layers there that we don't recognize, hey, the Lord is behind this all. The Lord is the one who provided all of these things. Any other additions or questions about these? You can, we could have more. Any questions about those? Yeah. Yeah. Redundant. So I'm not the only one who's had challenges praying? So, right. Yeah, absolutely. It's boring? <laughs> I'm boring me. God must be super boring. <laughs> I've, I like that a lot. That's very funny. There's a movie um, called The Seventh Seal where there's a character that plays death with chess. I mean, plays chess with death. And it kind of recurs over and over uh, throughout this movie. This character is an ongoing game of chess with death. And one time... He just says to himself, he said, I found a tedious companion, and it is I. Right? 
I, I feel that. I feel the most difficult challenge in my life is me. It gets easy to put it on other people. It's my mother. Or <laughs> no, the most difficult challenge in my life is always me. I'm a tedious companion. God bless my wife for you know, putting up with me. It's me. Yeah, yeah Jennifer? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So she was saying if um, kind of the awareness of who God is, which is the next point. So I think to whom we pray shapes why we pray, right? So it really kind of refocuses that. I don't know, today during uh, pastor's congregational prayer, that was like reorienting for me. It was really great. And I think that's what prayer does. I think I was intentional on the pastor's part in terms of how he thought about and prepared for his prayer during the week. But all of these things are still true, but it, it really focused on God. It really focused on who he is and where we are in the world currently and where we're headed and what's going on. It, it's, it reorients us. One of these things in terms of why I pray is because prayer changes us, right? Our prayer doesn't change God but it changes us, it reorients us, it reminds us of who God is, whose we are, where we are, where we're headed. And so I, does that, it, scratch where, itch where you're scratching? Scratch where you're itching. So one of the things to whom do we pray is really important. We recognize that Christian pr- pr- prayer is not a performance or an art or technique, but it's a relationship. Fundamental to this is our Father, the creator of the universe, who created everything out of nothing, like that. The one who's almighty. I mean, just think of all the acts of God throughout history, even the Exodus, you know, visiting the 10 plagues on Egypt, the battle at Jericho, raising Jesus from the dead, the you know, Pentecost. That God is our Father in Christ. He was your judge. He was your enemy in Adam. But in Christ, that's been changed. He is your Father. He is our Father. And so we're not going to one who doesn't know us or doesn't care about us or doesn't love us or is indifferent to us. He couldn't show us any more love than what he did in sending his own son. He who didn't spare his own son, how will he not give us how many things, beloved? All things. This relationship is fundamental. We pray to God the Father in the Son through the Holy Spirit. Sinclair Ferguson said it shouldn't be odd to us that Jesus prayed to God as his Father, but what's remarkable is that we can pray that prayer. What would give you the audacity to call the creator of the universe your father? Christ. When the disciples said, teach us to pray, he said, pray this way, our father. Because he's our brother. He's the one who gave us peace. He's the one who reconciled us. You're not coming to appease God anymore. God is appeased. 
You're not coming to your judge. You're coming to your father who loves you. Your sins are forgiven. You have been justified. You are righteous in Christ. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He's not indifferent. He's not waiting for you to come, you know, to mete out something evil on you. He wants to give you everything good and necessary for life. And he wants you to come. He calls you to come. He delights in you coming. You can come. The creator of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is our father. And for some of us, we had wonderful fathers, and there's that easy transition, you can kind of get it. But from other people who didn't have a good father on earth, this is difficult. We have to be able to recognize that. What's the paradigm for that or how does that play out? But we recognize in scripture how God presents himself as the father and how Jesus is as the son. He's lovingly inclined towards us. Everything that we need, he has provided in Christ. And so we, we can come. We can come to him confidently. We know that he loves us. We know that he hears us. We know that he cares. We know that he's eager to give. He sometimes even presents himself as something, I have all of these things to give you, but you haven't asked. You have not because you ask not. Just ask. <laughs> these are yours. Come, come. We're reluctant because of all these things and for many other reasons, but God couldn't make it any, please Come. <laughs> He's thrown open the entrance. When Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, he says that there are two wrong ways to pray. He said, don't pray like the hypocrites. They're acting or playing the part. They're pretending that they're children and they're not children. Or the Gentiles who just heap up many words. They're nonsense. They're gibberish. They're just fatiguing the gods. You know, to James's you know, uh, comment about redundancy, your prayers don't need to be four hours long. Jesus, help. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Lead me not into temptation. There could be a sentence here or there. It can be four hours. Come. Always come. He's always ready to hear. We know that our parents... You know, even the best of our parents sometimes are fatigued by us. God's always available. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, there are wrong ways to pray as well. Absolutely. Yeah, the parable with the woman who, you know, kept on crying out uh, to the judge. And the judge finally gave her justice because she fatigued him. And the point of that parable is, if that's what an unjust judge will do, imagine what, your, what a just judge or what your father will do. It's a parable of contrast in the sense of God is unlike that. And we do pray wrong. Like, I'm, I wholeheartedly admit. And so we want to grow in prayer. But also, beloved... It's amazing to think that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our wrong prayers. That's pretty remarkable. Even our sins in prayers, I'm not saying go and sing boldly, the great. I'm not saying that. 
but to recognize, hey, we do pray sinfully at times. We pray selfishly or importunely, or uh, we don't come respectfully or thoughtfully. I'm not saying just go and do that. I'm saying we do do that at times. But it's amazing the reality that Jesus Christ also paid the penalty for that and also lived the life of perfect prayer, as if we did as well, and we can still come. And we're called to come. But part of it, uh, what we want to talk about is like shaping us to be better prayers or more faithful, more like Christ in our prayers as well. But we're going through him. And so we recognize that God is our father fundamentally. And we know that he hears us and that he will answer us. And then we pray. Why pray then? Because we can. We could start with the command, right? And that's where... Johnson's saying, it also says, you're commanded to pray. Yes, but let's not forget everything that we just talked about. We pray because we can. We can approach God as our Father. You've been given the pathway and entrance to the Holy of Holies, and it's through Jesus Christ. Only one person a year in the Old Covenant could have gone into the Holy of Holies. One day a year. And it wasn't safe. And you can go anytime through Jesus Christ, who is your high priest, who is at the right hand of the Father, and what's he doing there? Interceding for us. Right now, where's Jesus? Interceding for you. The reason why we didn't fall away this week is because Jesus Christ's accomplished work in the past and Jesus Christ's present work right now. He's interceding for us. And you can. You can come. You can come and call on him as your Father. And we also pray because God uses means. God could give us everything immediately. Right? He could just give us wealth. He could give us food. He could give us whatever, just like that. But he uses means. And prayer is one of the means that God uses. Our daily bread, our forgiveness of sins, our sanctification, that come through the use of of prayer as well, through the means of prayer. We also pray because of our necessity and our want, we're dependents. We're utterly dependent upon God for everything. If God had to fill out a tax form, he would declare every human being as a dependent. Right? We don't have anything, biologically or spiritually, physically or spiritually, materially or physically, that doesn't come from the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. Everything. From our triune God. Michael Horton said that prayer is really a declaration of dependence, a declaration of dependency. So, right? so the United States has a declaration of independence. As Christians, we have a declaration of dependency. We are utterly dependent upon the Lord for our biological life, for our spiritual life, for our future life, for our forgiveness, for our justification, for our sanctification. And so... Uh, to Jennifer's question, like as we start to get these things more, it kind of eases the pathway to be able to, yes, these things still exist, but they lessen or they wax and wane or it's kind of like a yo-yo, right? It kind of goes. But to remind us uh, of the reality that we are utterly dependent upon the Lord. Dennis Johnson also says, um, we pray because we do not just want to receive the gifts of God, but to commune with the God of the gifts, the giver. So often we just want the goodies, right? One of the wonderful things about prayer is, is God himself. 
we're communing and uniting with the giver, not just the goods that he gives us, which are wonderful, but we're united to the Father in the Son through the Holy Spirit. We delight in God himself, not just what he does for us, in who he is. We also pray because God delights in hearing from his children. My mom can testify how wonderful it is to have children and hear from them and just delight in them and what a joy it is to bring them up. Amen. <laughs> how much more our Heavenly Father, right? I fatigued my parents. I wore them out. I was imperfect. They were imperfect. But our Heavenly Father is perfect. And he delights to hear from his children. It's hard to imagine. Like James said, right? I'm, we're, we're aware of this in ourselves. Like, really? God's, God's happy to hear from me. I'm not even happy to hear from me. God's happy to hear from you. Not always we sin. And we're happy to hear from God. It's a relationship that once was estranged and now is not, that once we were enemies and now we're not, we're heirs. We're co-heirs with Jesus of the new heavens and the new earth. All that is his is ours. And God delights in hearing from his children. We also pray because prayer changes us. I think this is one of the hang-ups people have with, you know, because you think we're going to be able to change God's mind. Why pray to a sovereign God? We're going to change him. Prayer changes us to be more like Jesus. It helps align and reorient us. Dennis Johnson said this, learning to pray does not offer us a less busy life. It offers us a less busy heart. I found that to be true, right? Not every time I pray, but there have been many times when I've prayed where I was so stressed or so anxious or so worried or distracted or something that when you go and you pray and you start to remember some of these things, like Jennifer's talking about, or going through the acts that uh, Reverend Godfrey talked about, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, it kind of changed my heart. The circumstances didn't change. I didn't leave the room and, oh, good, now all those things are gone. The circumstances remained exactly the same, but my heart was a unburdened. I remembered who God is. I remembered who he is in the past. I remembered who he is in the present. I remember who he's promised to be in the future. That's even during Pastor, uh, Pastor Godfrey's prayer this morning. That was, was reorienting. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world today, right? It's reorienting to come into church and to hear from God. It's amazing to us that God is a speaking God, beloved, but God is also a hearing God. He's a listening God. And so prayer changes us. And sometimes, uh, also in Pastor's sermon today, when he was talking about frustration with other people, or, you know, in particular, if someone's uh, slandering you and how you respond to that, when we have that bitterness or that hardness of heart or hatred that's brewing, it's difficult to continue to hate when you're on your knees for somebody. If you get on your knees and you start praying for your enemy, you could still walk away with some bitterness and, and hatred in those things, but the prayer also starts to change you. You recognize that you're more like them than you are like the Savior. You recognize that God is the one 
who brings vengeance, not you. It's not yours to do those things. It kind of starts to reshape us. We recognize again as we confess our sins, look at the laundry list here that the Lord has forgiven and cleansed and cleaned. And we have to do it over and over, right? It's not a one and done. Okay, yeah, now I never have to pray again. I asked for patience, I got patience. I asked for this, I got this. No, it's, it's ongoing because we're in a relationship. Our relationships take, take time. We also do pray, ultimately, because God does command us to pray. Pray. <laughs> He's telling you to do it. But you realize if you just start it like that, if that's the whole thing, then it just feels like a weight or a law rather than all of this. It's fair for God to command us to do something. He's the almighty creator of the universe. But the command comes understanding who he is as the holy one and that we couldn't have approached him. But now not only can we approach him, but he calls us to approach him because he's our father. We also pray because we recognize that everything we have comes from the Father through the Son and the Holy Spirit. We pray because we are grateful children of the King of Kings. Like the Heidelberg says, it's our chief form of gratitude. We're grateful. Everything that we need. Galatians 4.6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Now, one little verse is remarkable to think about. It gives us our confidence in being heard. It says, because you are sons. So hear that set up. It's not, if you do this, and if you do it well, if you do it faithfully, if you do it perfectly, then you'll be my sons. But the starting gate is, because you are sons. You've been regenerated. You've been called, you've been adopted, you've been justified, you've been indwelt. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son that you can cry, Abba, Father. Your ability to even say our father or my father or dear father is from an act of God. The spirit third person of the Holy Trinity lives in you. Think about that. The third person of the Holy Trinity dwells in you and has given you a spirit of adoption that you can say, that God is my God. That God is my Father. I am His now and always. And I can say, Abba, Father. I can say, Our Father. I can say all of those things. The bus is leaving in three and a half minutes, Brett. Um, the, uh, we can say, Our Father... Because of the Holy Spirit? You, wouldn't, you, you didn't come to this by observation, but by revelation and by a gift. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You hated God. You hated your neighbor. You were by nature a child of wrath. And God sent the Holy Spirit, His Spirit, Christ's Spirit, into you to rebirth you. And that you are now alive and you can say, my Father, our Father. It's not just you, our Father. That's pretty remarkable to think about. Mike Horton said, when we pray, we become aware, shaped, and focused upon the Lord. If God is sovereign, then he is in control of all the details of my life. 
If God is loving, then he is going to, then he is going to shape the details of li- my life for my ultimate good. And pastor was real careful about this in his prayer today. Not everything that happens is good, right? Romans doesn't teach that. But God can turn whatever happens in your life for your good. And he gave the example of the cross, right? That's despicable evil to kill the son of God. A despicable evil to kill an innocent man. That's a bad thing. That's an evil thing. But God uses evil for good. And that despicable act of evil is the very foundation of our freedom, the very foundation of us being able to call on him as father. Horton continues, if God is all wise, then he is not going to do everything I want because I do not always know what I need or what is best or what is down the road. That's been really convicting. You know that great theologian Garth Brooks once said, thank God for unanswered prayers. How many times have I prayed for something really thinking I needed it or wanted it or whatever, and God said no. And at that time, I was disappointed. But looking back, I'm so glad I didn't. I'm so glad he said no. He knew better. He knew better what was best for me and the timing of it and all of that. You know, Søren Kierkegaard once said that life must be lived forward but understood in reverse. And it's interesting to look back and to see God's hand in all of those things. There were two other times in my life that I thought I was going to get married or I wanted to get married and was praying about that. And I'm so glad that didn't happen. I'm so glad at age 35, I ended up marrying the person I married. In God's providence, I wouldn't have been wrong to do the others. I think they probably would have worked out. But man, I'm just so thankful he said no. But at that time, I was like, oh, okay, no. <laughs> so broken up and distraught. He knew. He knew and he provided. And so finally, you know, we could say so much more. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him. And notice it doesn't have a full stop there, but it says because he cares for you. Beloved, you do have anxieties and cares. And it's difficult if somebody comes along and says, don't be anxious. <laughs> don't be anxious. What do you do with that? You know, the, take it to the Lord. He's telling you, he's inviting you, he's calling you. I recognize you're anxious. Bring those to me because I care for you. Now we have to, maybe that's what we should talk about next week. Like how is that tempered with there are appropriate and inappropriate ways to pray or bring these things before the Lord. But let's not miss the reality that God says quite clearly in his word, cast your anxieties and cares on me because I care for you. Not in order that I will, but because I do. Because I do. I can give you a less busy heart. I'm not necessarily saying I'm going to take away the circumstances, but I've promised to be with you through them. I've promised to use them for your good. I've promised to use them to shape you and to conform you more and more to the image of God. And so, beloved, in conclusion, just because of time, I just want to remind you that he who did not spare his own son, how will he not also graciously give us all things? This is the foundation of it all, that he is our father. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.